You may be seated. Those are some powerful, powerful truths we just sang. And uh, I hope they stick in your heart, stick in your mind this week uh, as, as reminders of what our God can do. Um, it's been a great way to start our worship. It's been a great way to start our week. And I just want to prepare you to be blessed even more, to be blessed and challenged. As this morning, I have a great privilege of introducing to you not only our guest pastor for this morning, our guest preacher, but a dear friend of mine. Uh, his full name is Georgi Bakhtadze. So say it with me. I'm just kidding. That's all right. Georgi is actually the Georgian, as in Georgia, the country, the Georgian word for George or Jorge. So it's a common name, even common in Georgia, a lot of Georgis in Georgia. So he goes by the nickname Gia, Pastor Gia, like the automobile maker Kia, but with a G. And so Pastor Gia is a dear friend. Um, my family and I served for several years in the Republic of Georgia, and the Lord just connected us while we were there, uh, joined our hearts in fellowship, joined our minds in terms of vision and ministry for what God wants to do in that small but beautiful and strategic part of the world. Uh, so Pastor Gia is visiting in country for a couple of weeks, and we have the, the privilege of having here with us to share God's word. So he's going to tell you a little bit more about his background and bring the message for this morning. Um, just one more thing to note is he is fluent in about five languages at least, uh, but this morning he's going to preach in English, so we're all right uh, with that. So Pastor Gia, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much, David. It's actually, I am privileged. It's a huge privilege for me and a joy for me. And, um, and a reminder of the, the mystery of the church that we are, I live so far, if not Jesus, we would never meet, right? We would never call each other brothers and sisters and we would never worship together. And that's the mystery of the church, that we are one in Christ, separated by language, by geographic you know, borders, by political borders, but one in Christ. Far on earth sometimes, but one in Christ. And that's a, that's a shadow of heaven. Where all language, languages, all, all tongues, all ethnos, all nations will worship the Lord together, right? It's a huge privilege for me, brother. And by the way, David pronounced my surname very well, uh, Georgi Bachtadze. And did you know there is a special reward in heaven if you pronounce this uh, surname properly? And uh, I could preach in, I could speak in Georgian. And it will probably be good for you because we'll be speaking in Georgian in heaven. And you gotta, that's my strong recommendation, you start learning now because it will take you whole of your life until you uh, meet Jesus in heaven and don't want to have a translator there, right? Because we'll be speaking Georgian there. So uh, the Republic of Georgia is one of the ancient and beautiful countries. It's small. It's about the size of the South Carolina. The population is about 3.7 million. And uh, it's located in between Russia and Turkey and Armenia, Iran. Azerbaijan, so it's surrounded by Muslim populations. The northern Russian part is the, is the strong Muslim part of Russia. And then there are Muslims in Tur Turks and then Iran and then further Iraq. And uh, it's, a, it's a small country, as I said. And um, uh, one of the important facts about Georgia is that it's an Orthodox country. It's, uh, there is not much Orthodox uh, churches in the United States, but Georgia was the second country in the history, in the year of 324, that accepted Christianity in its Eastern Byzantine, you know, Orthodox version tradition, 
uh, as a state religion when the king decided. When king decides, you have no choice, right? It's not a democracy. Uh, so uh, since that, that simple truth, historic fact, till now for 17th centuries determines everything in, in our country. It's not just your personal preference or choice. If you are Georgian, you must be Orthodox. Just like in a Muslim world, if you're a Muslim, it's all your life. There is no choice. So just uh, with orthodoxy. And um, uh, so uh, being a Georgian like me and, uh, and not being orthodox, being an evangelical Christian means that you betrayed your nation, you betrayed your tradition, you betrayed everything your fathers and grandfathers and their fathers and their fathers were dying for. The history is there. It's even present in Georgia, you know. The oldest church... Can we, we see some of the pictures of the churches. Uh, there are two churches on the right side that are 11 and 12th century old. And on the left side, it's a relatively new church, the Trinity Cathedral. That is the tallest Orthodox church in Eurasia region, in the whole region of Eurasia. And that's a message to the whole world that we are the most Orthodox. You know, that's a, the patriarchy, the head of the Orthodox church and some of the priests. It's very based on ritual, ceremonial, uh, and... Uh, it's the a, it's a biggest influential power. And the oldest church in Tbilisi, the capital where we are from, it holds almost half of the population of the whole country, is uh, the late 5th beginning of 6th century old. Can you imagine that? You touch it, the stones, huge stones, you know. You touch it, you can smell it, you enter it, you experience this, this you know. And that's all our nation has. You know, uh, politically, economically, there is not much that we reached. That's a beautiful nature, though. A lot of tourists come. But, but the, the past is all we have. And so that's why Georgians are so committed to it. And that's why, unfortunately, and it's heartbreaking, Georgians are so resistant to anything away, apart from Orthodox Church. You know, if you are, and unfortunately, it's not gospel-focused, it's not... Uh, Christocentric. It's not preaching. Most churches there is no sermon of the uh, no, no preaching of the gospel. They actually forbid you to read the Bible because why? Because you will get it wrong. You know because you as individual you are not supposed to read it by yourself. You'll get it wrong. You'll fall into heresy. You'll lose any chance for salvation. You know. So that's why only within the church and the churches. Most churches they don't really preach it. They don't. Really, they don't preach it. Unfortunately. So anyway. Uh, the, the country we live in, this is, uh, and the evangelical population is probably 0.2 of 1% of the whole population, right? So 8,000 people, maybe 9 at max. So statistically, we almost don't exist in that country. So this, this culture is very resistant, very friendly, very hospitable, very hospitable, especially to Americans, by the way, kind of welcome to Georgia. And, uh, but... Um, but at the same time, uh, when, when you touch their beliefs, their belonging, their identity as nation, they're very resistant. Who are you? I mean, you are, what is this evangelical? What is this Protestant? What is this? And who are you? Are you a sect? You're a cult and a sect. That's all who you are for them, yeah? So uh, that's, a, that's a painful part of it. I wish we as nation would not have such a long history because that has become our stumbling block to Jesus. Our tradition blinds us. We follow tradition. We don't want to follow Jesus in our daily life. Um, and, but God can break any strongholds. He is the one who breaks the strongholds. So I believe the time will come for our country. I believe God is doing his work. Even though statistically we almost don't exist, we do exist and God works through the few believers in the country. Can I introduce my family, please? 
Uh, this is my beautiful family, uh, my beautiful wife, Nino. You know, um, she, uh, she is a faithful, mature follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, I said that on the first service. I, I learned a good phrase in Texas, to being married up. Husbands, do you know you're married up? Do you recognize that? So I did. <laughs> God's grace in my life. I'm truly married up to this wonderful lady. <coughs> and she, and th- those are our three kids, gift of God. Sally is our daughter, the oldest. She's almost 15. Our son, Andrea, he's almost 11. He'll get 11 in, in December. He just had a heart surgery. And some of you were praying, many of you were praying, and thank you. Thank you, because God just poured his grace to us so abundantly. It's, it was an artwork that was done for, in his heart, really. I mean, literally artwork in Germany. So it has been four months. He's doing very well, praise the Lord. His name is Andrea. And then the youngest one is our hooligan. His name is Timote. Tortures all of us. We handle it. We tolerate it. And um, so uh, in our church, just very shortly, we planted the church uh, in about 13 years ago, it's one person at a time in Georgia. It's just one, you are digging granite, you know, you are trying to bite piece by piece. It's, uh, it's, it's one person at a time. It just, it's just that way. God opens doors and you have to use those doors when they're open. And then the times change and those doors get open, they're, they're closed, you know. And then you have to find other ways God opens, you know, other other paths to share the gospel. Anyway, Savior's Bible Church is one of those few evangelical churches in Georgia. There are a few others, and, uh, and this is our people. This is, by the way, by God's grace, we also have our building. And this is a training that we had uh, a group, uh, Chad, Jose Luis, and David, uh, living in Georgia at that time. We had a training for some of the leaders. So we have a f- small association of Bible, Bible and Baptist churches, uh, six churches together. So it was a training for some of the leaders there. And um, uh, so please, as a church, please, please have Georgia in your mind. Okay, pray for us. Come, let's serve Georgians together. Let's serve the king, the kingdom together in Georgia, right? Uh, thank you for your prayers and thank you for having me here. It's a, it's a privilege, it's a blessing for me, brother. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, open up our Bibles. Today we'll be reading from John 5. Uh, Gospel of John 5, 1 uh, through 18. And let's read first. The, the topic is, uh, do you want to get well? That's the name of the, of the message today. So let's read part by part. Let's read first five verses uh, right now. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there has been an invalid for 38 years. This is, Jesus is back from Galilee, from his trip to north. He has made several trips to Galilee and back to Jerusalem. And uh, this happens after he's back. He goes, it's a, it's a northeast part of Jerusalem, actually. Right now, where uh, this big bath was, it was actually a soccer field size, two baths. Big bathing place, really, for anyone in the city. And um, uh, right now, there is a church, old church and a monastery. It's called St. Anna's Church in Jerusalem. Right now, it's standing there. And so Jesus goes there, and besides a bathing place, there was a common belief that 
angel, once in a while, once in a while, angel comes down and he stirs the water. Maybe there were some mineral uh, sources of water inside in the ground. And then whoever can get there, whoever the eel people can get there first would be healed. It was a common belief, people's belief. So that's why besides a bathing place, it was kind of a healing place in some chances, slight chances. So many eel people there, lame, blind, paralytics, they were gathered at, at that place. In, in a sense, to me, it's a picture of our falling world, suffering world. Not only physical illness that makes us suffer and die, we get old, we get sick, we die, right? And, uh, but also uh, the, the, the picture of the parallel of the spiritual illness that we suffer. Even in Jerusalem, even in the Holy Land, there were a lot of people suffering because of their illness and because of their spiritual illness, right? And Jesus goes to that very place. And uh, John tells us there was a man who was ill for 38 years. Some people just live for that long in the ancient times. It was a pretty long period, you know, it was a long span. 38 years, we don't really know what was his illness. Maybe it was some type of paralytic, you know, uh, thing, or uh, something else. We know he could not walk for that time. We don't know his name. We don't know his age. We don't know much of his life except the fact that for 38 years this man is tortured by this illness. Just imagine, you can't walk, it means that you are totally dependent on someone else. Every day, to leave. Someone gives you some money, you may, may be able to buy some bread to eat. If not, you're going to die because you cannot work to provide for yourself. You cannot care for anyone. You cannot care for yourself, for your basic needs. You are deprived for simple joys of a daily life, for normal family life. None of that he had. He couldn't. You can't. Because of this illness. Um, and also you are, he, was, uh, he was deprived from a worship, from the temple worship, which was a big, big thing, you know. It was very important for Jews at that time. He couldn't worship with others. Because he was ill, physically he couldn't do that. And uh, the door was closed because people believed that it was because of the uh, sins, that people are punished because of the sins. And so Jesus sees him and he goes to him. Let's continue reading since uh, the verse 6 till 9. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Hmm, a little comment there by John. It was Sabbath day. So Jesus sees him. Jesus notices him. He goes to him. We don't know why to him. It was his choice. He went to him. And he's asking a very strange question. Would you imagine this man wants to get healed or not? Wants to get well? After 38 years of a terrible life, he doesn't know what is, he doesn't, I don't know, maybe he remembers some of the years before. We don't know how old he was. But uh, what a question. Strange question, right? Why does Jesus ask that question? 
Well, uh, it's certainly not because he just wants inch, uh, information. He doesn't know and he wants to have some information. It never, Jesus asks questions because he lacks the information. He knows. But always when Jesus asks questions, it's for sake of that person. So that the same question would, that person would ask for himself and think about it. Do you really want to get well? What is your hope? What is your deepest desire of your soul, of your mind? What is your biggest hopes? And he, and he immediately says, Sir, there is no one else to help me uh, because, as I said, come and believe. Whenever water gets stirred, uh, there is no one to actually get me to the water because I can't walk. And maybe his hope was to Jesus, can you stand here for a couple of weeks? Maybe if we are lucky, the water will get stirred and then you will get me to the water. We don't know, but Jesus wants him to think, what is his true deep desire? Do you wish to get well? Do you want to get well? Uh, my brothers and sisters, the truth is, God finds every one of us just as helpless and as hopeless as that man was. Maybe we were not paralytic, I wasn't. We could walk, some of us fast, some not quite fast, but still. Maybe there was other illness, some, some other physical illness, but we were spiritually ill. We were, we were totally broken in our sin. We all were broken and in our illness, in our spiritual illness, in our emotional illness, in our illness of relationship, in all that the sin brings to our life. It destroys lives. It destroys the cultures. It destroys uh, a human being. It wasn't part of the design. So uh, God finds each one of us in our brokenness. And we need to first address that question to ourselves. Do you want to get well? I would like us to hear the question of Jesus, our Lord and Savior today, just as you heard it very, for the very first time. Do you want to get well from your illness, from your uh, sin, from your addiction, from your loneliness, from your emptiness, brokenness, what is going on inside of you, in your family, in your relationships, in your attitude to sin? Is there an addiction you are fighting and you can't? It's eating you. It's torturing you. Do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? But some of us, maybe we, we never really met Jesus before. I would like to tell you that there is, there is no meaning of life without Jesus. There is no meaning of, I remember how it was before, before Jesus found me. Just as hopeless and helpless as this paralytic man. Probably paralytic. I remember how it was without, I don't want to go there. I remember what was, where was I finding the meaning for myself. It was a rock music of 60s and 70s. It was uh, some lady that I thought is everything for me. And, and the life was gray, life was dark and black and white. There was very little white, it was gray actually in my life and you could almost touch the emptiness in my heart when Jesus found me. Maybe some of us never really experienced the meeting, the meeting that transforms, the encounter that transforms us. Do not, just do not postpone, just tell Jesus, Jesus enter my life, come to my life. I do want to get well. You cannot get well without Jesus. You can have everything, all the money, all the career, all the open doors, everything in life. But if you don't have Jesus, you cannot get well. 
because he is the only one who brings wholeness, wholeness, wholeness in our lives, fullness, healing, restoration, meaning, and purpose. So if you never experience that, just tell Jesus now, even in your thoughts, in your mind, you can say it quietly or you can say it loud, Jesus, please enter my life and transform it, Jesus. I do want to get well. And the sin, this emptiness, this loneliness is eating me, Lord. Please enter my life. And many will say, well, I'm, I'm saved. I'm kind of okay. Well, I'd like us to hear, us, in those of us who follow Jesus, to hear the same question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get healed from the brokenness in your life? From the addiction, maybe? From sin, from the sinful relationships? from the sinful patterns of our life. Sometimes, you know why Jesus says, because sometimes we don't want to get well. Sometimes we don't want to leave it. Sometimes we find refuge in the sin. We escape Jesus as Adam and Eve did. When they sinned, they hide in the creation from the creator, ashamed, feared. We hide in the creation. We hide in other things. We hide in the sinful things, you know, the things that we think will fulfill our, our needs, and they don't. They lie. They're idols. They're deceiving us. Do not postpone. Jesus can set you free. Only Jesus can set you free. What are you fighting with? Oh, Jesus can set you free. You'll need the help of other brothers and sisters, pastors. But Jesus can set you free. Do not postpone. Do not put it aside. Restored. There is no broken place that he cannot rebuild. There is no brokenness. There is no illness he cannot heal. Brothers and sisters. And, and this is the same, the very question we need to address in other people around us. Do you want to get healed, healed from your loneliness, emptiness, hopelessness? There are people who may have everything in life. You may have neighbors or relatives or friends or classmates, but they do not have Jesus and everything else loses its meaning, you know. They try to find meaning in relationships, in affairs. They try to find meaning in money, in career, in whatever. What I do, what I want, I do, you know, this freedom. It's a fake freedom. It's not freedom, really. It's, it's a slavery of your desires. But it doesn't satisfy, that's the point. So the same very question we need to address to other people around us. Do we see them? Do we notice people suffering? Do we care? Do you care about your neighbors? Who will pray for them if not you? Who will start, make the first step to get to know your neighbor? Invite them for coffee, I don't know. I'm not local here, I live in Georgia. We do invite our neighbors for coffee. My wife does. We do go to their houses, even if they don't invite. It's not culturally well, you don't have to invite you first, but it's okay. If you are a neighbor, you can knock the door. Hey, Sasha, what are you doing? You have a minute, let's just chat. And so, do you take initiative? Do you notice them? They need Jesus. We are the ones. God placed us in their life, not by chance, not by mistake. Wherever you are, Wherever you are, it is your mission's field. Do not be deceived. It is your mission's field. You are called to be a salt and light. You are called to be a messenger 
of the best, best message ever in history. About the best one ever in history, about Jesus. He is the one who can bring freedom in their lives. So let's continue um, reading. Then Jesus said, Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, well, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this fellow? who told you to pick up your mat and walk. Uh, the man who was healed had no idea who he was because for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who, made, who had made him well. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. That's a powerful command of, a, of the giver and the source of not only healing but life. The powerful command of the Son of God. Can illness not submit to, that, to those words? It reminds me of the other calls in the, in, the, in the Gospels. Lazarus, come out. And a man, dead man, the body who is already there, some processes that goes, and for several days this man is dead already, it smells very badly, but he comes out because death and life submits to the one, to the creator. There is no power, there is no sphere in this life, in this universe that will not submit uh, to the king of history and the king of the future. Calm down, uh, stop. Quiet, be still, and, 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 and the storm just calms, you know, it stops. The waves stop, the wind stops. Uh, these words also point to the, to the command of the Son of God in the, in the end times. The verse 25 of the same chapter, Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who, will hear, who hear will leave. Time will come. So there is no power, there is no uh, system, there is no place, there is no cubic centimeter in the whole universe that will not submit to the mighty command and the words of the Son of God, brothers and sisters. You think there are some problems in your life and just uncurable. Well, God can't deal with that. God can deal with everything. God can deal with everything if you let him enter the most broken, damaged parts of your life. God can heal everything. God can deal with everything. And there, is a, there was also a sign by that, by this great miracle. Jesus, this, this miracle is a sign that he is the promised Messiah. It's a messianic sign. It's a fulfillment of the, a fulfillment of the prophecies, which I'll read one of them from Isaiah 35. Verse 4, um, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. 
Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. And then the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. This was a fulfillment of the prophecies. Isaiah's prophecies and other prophecies. It's a sign that he is the promised one who will bring deliverance to the people. But you know what's the tragedy? The reaction of the Jews, the Jewish leaders, they, they see him uh, taking up his mat. Their first reaction is not, what happened to your life? Are you saved? Are you, are you healed? You are jumping now. You're, you're walking now. Their, their first reaction is, who told you to take up your mat? It's Sabbath. You're not allowed to do that. They're so preoccupied with their tradition, basically. They're so preoccupied with their interpretation of the Mosaic law, of the Old Testament law, uh, that the, what, what they see in Jesus, what they see in this great miracle is only a law breaker and a law breaking. Uh, you're not allowed to take your mat, put it, you know, put it back. Uh, the truth is that they're so preoccupied with their own ideas, their religion, the human tradition, interpretation, that they became blind, not seeing him, not recognizing Jesus, not recognizing the promised Messiah. They had to be the first ones who would accept. And as the John says in chapter 1, he came to his, to his own and they did not accept him. They did not recognize him. That's what we see here. They're so preoccupied with their human religion, their ideas, that they became blind to the truth, blind to the word of God. Sometimes we do the same thing, don't we? We don't deny Jesus, no. I'm not saying that. But sometimes we're so preoccupied with our own ideas that we become blind to the truth of God in the scripture. We have to let God shape our mind with his word and not the opposite. Not the opposite, right? We, we have to put this word above. On the first place, not because we worship this word, we worship God who revealed himself in the word. Because this word opens up himself and his will and his character and the plan of salvation and the way of salvation. And we have to let this word shape our mind, our habits, our values, our worldview and not control it by our decisions and our beliefs. Shape our beliefs. Let the word shape your beliefs and not the opposite. Right? Well, it was a Sabbath, as John says, and that was a problem for Jews. That the fact is that Jesus did not break the Sabbath, nor this healed man break the Sabbath. He didn't. All they broke is uh, Jewish interpretations, tradition uh, of the uh, Sabbath commandment. What, what is the purpose of Sabbath? Sabbath was given, the commandment of Sabbath was given for the well-being of the whole creature of the human being, of the man, and, and actually whole universe, whole, I mean, planet, you know, whole, every, every creature. For the rest and restoration and renewal, spiritual, physical, emotional, out of care and love for people and for creation, God gave Sabbath. Well, they get mad, uh, they get mad, their Jewish leaders get mad, and they say, who, and, and this man, this healed man, he says, well, it's not me, it's, it's Jesus, 
I'm here, I'm just a passbuyer here, you know. It's Jesus, he told me uh, to pick up uh, the mat. And I said, who is this fellow? They don't even, don't even understand. All they see in Jesus is a lawbreaker. But this is a key question, actually, in the Gospels, brothers and sisters. Who is this fellow? Who is this man? Uh, the religious leader's problem is that nothing that Jesus does will be acceptable to them because they do not know who Jesus is. They don't recognize him. Jesus says later in the chapter 8, 19, in the Gospel of John, you do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. They think they please God more than anyone. They did, did really think that. They please, they're pleasing God with more than anyone by, by dry and legalistic fulfillment of every single regulation that they created. And by some of the regulations, they actually canceled the word of God. And Jesus says that. But how can you please God without knowing him? Is it possible? Tell me. It's not possible. They, Jesus says he, they, do not, they do not recognize him. They don't know him, the son. They don't know the father. You cannot please God if you don't know him. Your religion, your worship will be man-made. Not God-given. It's an idolatrous worship. Man. It's an idol worship. Man, because you are creating God you want. They think God is like them. Indifferent. Proud. Dry. Caring about not people, but rules, fulfills, all people fulfill their rules. But God is not like them. God is not like that. The key questions. Well, let's go to the reaction of the, uh, of the healed man. It is very interesting to me. I mean, heartbreaking that the healed man doesn't express any desire to follow Jesus. To find who he is. He's indifferent. Despite of the... Warning of Jesus, do not sin. When, when they meet in the temple, we read it. When they meet in the temple, and he, he now knows, oh, it was Jesus who healed me. His name is Jesus. And uh, Jesus tells him, do not sin so nothing worse happens to you. What does he do? He right away sins. He goes to the religious leaders and says, hey, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. You know, I, found, I know now. It was Jesus uh, who healed me, who broke the law, basically, who told me to break the law. Uh, and he sins because he betrays, basically. Why does he do that? First, he remains indifferent. The mighty works of God are done in his life. Can you imagine? After 38 years, tortured, suffered by the illness, now free. The mighty works of God were done in his life. It changed his life. Changed. But there is no sign of belief. No sign of pursuing Jesus. No desire to follow Jesus. No thankfulness. No desire to be with Jesus. He's He's indifferent. He's ignorant. The question to us, brothers and sisters, what is our response? What is our reaction on the mighty works of God in our life? Do we also stay indifferent? Do we take it as granted? Israel took it as granted and forgot over and over, over and over. That's why God reminded him over and over, over and over. But sometimes we do too, right? Do we stay indifferent? The second, his reaction, he pleases men, he pleases religious leaders uh, rather than God. He's, he fears men rather than Jesus. Whom do we please? Whom do we fear? Is the reason why you, didn't, you never told your co-worker that you actually follow Jesus Christ, that it's actually the best? Is it the reason of what will he think about me? Will he think that I'm crazy? Or what will they say? What will they gossip about me? What will they, they will change their attitude. Do we please men rather than God? 
Do we care about man's opinion rather than God's opinion? Do we fear man more than God? In our choices, in our values, in our decisions every day, it's very hard if you are a young man, any age basically, but if you are a young man and your company, your friends are doing something bad, it's very hard to say, no, I'm a Christian. It's unacceptable for me. I'm not going to smoke it or I'm not going to drink it. I'm not going to do it or I'm not going to watch it or whatever. You can continue, you know. Do we please God more than men or do we please men rather than God? Do we fear men rather than Jesus? Whom do we please? Whom do we fear? And Jews are proud, blind, and legalistic. They, as Jesus says, they do not know the Father. They do not understand the Father's heart. Who is revealing us the Father's heart, brothers and sisters? Who reveals Father's heart? Who revealed the Father? The Son. Jesus reveals us Father's heart. Jesus reveals us the true image of the Father. Jesus reveals us his heart, which is full of grace, loving and compassionate and merciful. My, my brothers and sisters, God never remains indifferent to the needs and suffering of man. That's how he is. That's how he, his, his heart is. to the level that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only son, that whoever believes, puts his trust, says yes to him, Jesus, yes. We'll live forever with him and will not get perished. This is how God loved us. The most important and dear to him, his son. Um, he gave his son. If in my heart there is no mercy and compassion for people, if I don't care for people's needs, for people's suffering, if I just don't notice, I'm, I'm so preoccupied with my own life, you know, there are lots of problems, there are lots of things, I'm just too busy. If I don't care, if I don't see, I do not know Father's heart then, brothers and sisters. We can't stay indifferent, especially to the biggest need of people around us. It's the biggest suffering, and the biggest need is their spiritual need. We cannot stay indifferent as a church. We cannot stay indifferent as the followers of Jesus in the 21st century, wherever we are. Because, why? Because he doesn't. Because God is not that way. Well, Jewish leaders, Pharisaic religion was that way. But we want to be growing in Christ-likeness, right? We want to behave like him, like Jesus. Is there uh, mercy and compassion in my heart for people, for suffering people, for lost people, for people in the darkness around me? Do I care? Do I pray for them? Do I share the question, pass on the question, do you want to get well? Only Jesus can bring this wellness, true wellness in your life. And... Uh, the 17 and 18 verses, let's read the, the last two verses. So actually since the 16, 18. Uh, um, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. They began to persecute him. And then in, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and, I'm, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all 
the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but even worse now, blasphemy. But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. It's the first mentioning that they want to kill him. It's the first desire indicated in the Gospels. That they actually, the aggression, the tension got to the point where they're ready to kill him the first time. And there is a reason for that. But Jesus makes a statement there. He says, my father is always at his work to this very day, including Sabbath. And I too am working. And there are two parts in this statement. That's a huge cosmic statement, actually. That's a high Christology, Christology. First, he says, my father. That's a very strong expression. Jews would never address uh, God uh, with these words, my father. They could say our father. But Jesus points to a very unique, very intimate, special, different, in essence, relationship with his father that no one else has. And the second, he says, actually, uh, as a doer of the works of God, the one who does, he is the one who does very same works the father is doing. And therefore, it's very clear for Jews, he's pointing to his equality with God, the father. He says he's the same as the father in essence, two persons, but one essence. And this is just a blowing mind for them. They cannot understand. They're not accepting that they want to kill him for that. Why? Because they don't know. They don't recognize him and they don't know the father. They did not recognize the one whom they waited for so long. They're blind because they're preoccupied with their own religion, with their own ideas. What is the father, what is that that the father is doing, which the son does also? The father creates, right? Father created the world. Beautiful world, we're part of it. It was created beautifully. And then the second, uh, the father actually sustains the world every minute and second of our life. Does he stop sustaining it on Sabbath, seventh day? Does life stop for a moment, pause, and then turns on again on Monday or no, father's, father sustains as well as the son, the world, every second. If he would do it, just stop it right now, the whole life would just stop exist. Right? He sustains the world, he sustains the life, and uh, then he gives life. It is not only six days a week that people and animals are born, it is seven days a week that people and animals are born. He saves, he gives an internal life. It is not six days a week that people... Uh, are saved, but it's seven days a week people are saved. He's continuing his work in us, transforming work through the Holy Spirit seven days a week, not just six days a week. Right? Every day, including Sabbath. So the Son does the works of the Father. He does the works that Father is doing. With two questions, we'll finish. Actually, a couple of questions. What are the mighty works of God in your life? What are the mighty works of God in your life? What is he doing in us, through us? What is my response? Do I stay indifferent? Do I care? Do I want to be with Jesus as a result? Do I want to know Jesus closer and also make his name known better around me? Desire to follow him. Desire to obey him. What is God's mighty works in our life? And what is our response? 
Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you. You are worthy of all worship, Jesus. You are the only one who is worthy. There is no one in this universe who is worthy of worship and glory and praise. You, the Father, you, the Son, and you, the Holy Spirit, Lord. We, we worship you. We give the glory to you. We ask you to do it, that help us to let you enter in every corner of our life. So we get well. So everything is broken in us. So the illness in us, spiritual, Lord, would get healed, Lord. So your light enters the darkness of the corners of our life. We ask you that you would help us to see, to observe, to notice, fill our hearts with joy because of your mighty works in our lives, Lord. You continue your work every day, Lord. We ask you that you, by your Holy Spirit, you would fill us with, the, with your Holy Spirit and with a desire to know you closer and better, with a desire to make your name known. Lord, we worship you. We worship you. You are worthy of worship, Lord. No one else. There's no one else, Lord, in this universe. We lift our lives to you. We submit our lives, ourselves, our beings, whole being to you, Lord. May your will be fulfilled in our life, Lord.